The thing that I think that scares me the most, for a fact, this is going to change everything in the future. But the fact that in order to have this kind of model will become absolutely necessary. And the only people who can have the level of data and the level of compute is going to be big players. When I was thinking in my mind, I was like, you have to have the ability to innovate. You have to have this ability to build products. Like it's always been this pattern of, Big companies grow up, become behemoths, move faster, cannot innovate, cannot do things. It spawns off these startups who then go and build these things. They innovate faster, do better. I just wonder if big guys are the only people that can really have the capability and money to run these things. Mm -hmm. And I also start wondering if it becomes so smart that it is the only thing that really helps innovate and helps execute. Do startups actually end up being at a disadvantage from big companies? Companies. That part to me, me makes me a bit nervous. Yes, everyone. So welcome to another episode of AI Cybersecurity Podcast. Today is the second episode, and we're going to talk about where from where we left off in the first episode. We started talking about Gen AI, but I had to hold Kayla back from explaining everything about <laughs> Gen AI. But for people who don't know who we are, we've been talking about AI cybersecurity. We're both professionals in cybersecurity space. Scale and CISO for a number of years. I've been CISO as well. So we thought, why not talk about AI in a simplified way? Lens on it for practitioners. With that said, Caleb, yes. generative AI, we spoke about this. It's all the hype. What is it? What is Gen AI for people who've just been hearing about chat GPT? Let's start around LLMs. Okay, first probably to say this is like the reason why we're doing this podcast is I did this presentation on me just learning through this journey, right, for myself. Yeah. And I posted it for security people because I thought it was relevant that it felt like a lot of security people focused on security, but not on just how the LLM works. And a lot of times, like that's actually really important to understand how the engine runs. So uh, let's talk about it. What's <laughs> interesting, the amount of like material I had to go through she's just to get together everything that was enough simplified to where I felt like I could understand it was unbelievable like oh, it was really hard to find okay i had to just go through all of these things to confirm to get it to a point it goes okay i think this is right and i think i can explain it and think about it this way and so what i'm about to talk about is going to seem really simple but actually took a lot of work <laughs> to, to oh wow it. wait before you start on that as well because the question was more on gen ai maybe is it worthwhile cementing that as well why gen ai and llm is spoken in the same tone yeah, so to take Gen AI, when you look at AI, or at least machine learning in the past, they've been very narrow in their focuses, and they've been really focused on analyzing, predicting, but mm. really analyzing and providing the information around, oh, is this a hot dog or is this not a hot dog? That's yeah, yeah. the angle of things. The transformer, which really came, actually has been used for quite some time from my understanding, but this paper that came out, which is by Google and a couple other people called Attention is All You Need, is about the transformer and how attention and being able to build context around NLP and how it works and really changed the game in this. And so I'm a little fuzzy on how from the paper we ended up getting into ChatGPT, as I didn't really research the history of it. But uh, all I do know is that paper was really a catalyst around where now you can take this thing and generate text at a level at which it makes sense. And so I think prior to this, just predicting the next word isn't necessarily that great. What do we or call autocorrect? it? Autocorrect per se. Autocomplete. But, 
yeah, yeah, autocomplete, right? Yeah. Like you can't like autocomplete by itself can't really make a lot of sense. But when you started adding this ability to create weights around context, around massive areas of text, and you have enough feature sets and the model gets big enough, and then you can also fine tune it to what you expect, amazing things get created out of it. Thus we get jet GPT. But by the way, text isn't the only thing. So Obviously, during the same time frame, things like stable diffusion started coming out where you can start generating images and start looking at what that looks like. And a lot of this sort of generation or this sort of gen AI started really taking off. Mm. And what you're starting to see, obviously, is this escalation of it. it's no longer just chat. It becomes chat, video, audio, photos, all of these multimodal capabilities are now starting to come into play. And I have this prediction of the evolving of Gen AI over the next, what are the next phases? Yeah. And one of the, I put up this column that's, hey, the way we interact with LLMs today are through text. The, the data that it uses is public data. And the role that it plays is about creating and informing, right? It's, that's really the way we've been used to using this chat format. It's like replacing Google. Yeah. However, you know, what we're moving into, I would even, I, I called it near future, but actually I think it's more today because I did this a couple months ago, but it's today, which is, you know, it's not just about interacting with text. It's going to be about interacting through images, through audio, through video, even on the perspective of Ashish. Like it, it just, you know, I'm just going to talk to an AI generated version of you and that's going to be my assistant, right? That's going to be the yeah. way it works. Yeah, And then the, the data is going to be, it's moving from public data, to enterprise data, and also to personal data, right? And then the way that it starts changing its role is I think AI starts becoming a decider and an actor. And when it starts making decisions and acting is when things get really fascinating. And actually to further in this, my hot topic is around me playing with a project that where you give LLMs basically full root access and internet access and let it run. And it, you let it just make decisions and you just let it act. That's where I think AI becomes super interesting. I feel like it's going to be one of those experiences like the self-driving car. When you said you know, self-driving car for the first time, one of those companies like Cruise or whatever, it is so unsettling. The moment you said that, I had that unsettling feeling as well. I'm like, what? It can do, you just yeah. give me a root access, can do whatever it wants. Oh, I imagine it's, there's some boundaries and all of that, but it just makes you feel like a bit more in the inside. You're like, oh, I don't know how to react to this. <laughs> it's like the first time you've interacted with GPT yeah. and the um, amazement that you had. Yeah. And also the first time for me when I also saw or played with auto GPT or was it baby AGI, mm -hmm. similar, like this sort of automated sort of action thing. Yes. And then I looked at this other thing open interpreter and I started running that and I was like, oh my God, it's just getting more and more next level. And it's both amazing and scary yeah. as hell. But the thing is like the benefits is far going to outweigh any of the risks. So you reckon that one paper that you just mentioned earlier, that's what's triggered all of this. Potential is all you need. Yeah. I think that really gen the LLM aspect of, oh crap, like this is how you do it. It's also scalable through GPUs mm -hmm. and being okay. able to compute this way. I think both of those sort of combined and the ability to say, and the fact that they started building larger and larger models yeah. also spawned a lot of this. For example, there's actually a slide I got to put in where 
they talk about how emergent capabilities come from model sizes, right? So the earlier versions were really neat, right? They were cool, like a little like auto right. prediction, but okay, yeah, I can play with this. It does some cool things. But when you start getting into 7 billion, 50 billion, 70 billion, you start getting into these larger and larger sizes, these emergent capabilities just appear and nobody knows why. Right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's just at a certain level of knowledge, all of a sudden these things can like reason and make sense out of things that they were not trained to do or tried to be trained to do. And this is where it starts getting really funky. That's like really neat. It's yeah. super cool to see. So, so maybe if we beat a few more layers to this LLN thing, because I think to you and I are probably equally excited. And my hot topic is about the whole meta AI thing as well to get into it a bit later. The whole generative AI then obviously. Chat GPT became that first that exploded and then followed by Bard and all of that. Are they well, all the definitely same? don't forget about images. Yeah. When you think about mid journey and stable diffusion, those were also really early on too. And yeah, or oh, Dali, yeah, yeah, Dali was there as well. Dali was there. A lot of uh, automation for content as well can generate text. Because you and I were both excited about this. So, what is Gen AI? After doing all that research, you got down to the LLM. What is LLM now? LLM, obviously, large language model is this ability to predict text. And so I tried to say, okay, the simplest way for me to understand this, is I need to understand the basics. And so how does it work? And so what I did is I basically, I did this whole presentation or this blog post as well. It says, okay, my example was, let's just take a simple sentence, an apple tree. And I was like, what happens in an LLM when you take this? And so what it does is the first thing it does is it takes that sentence and it tokenizes it. And all tokenizing is, is converting it to a numeric representation. And so every model has a different sort of tokenization pattern. I used OpenAI's tokenization. All it basically says is I need to convert words that we know of in parts of words into a number so that you can do math on it. That's really what it's about. And so you can take N, it has a number. Apple, it has a number. Tree, it has a number, right? Yeah, yeah. Now you've tokenized this sentence effectively. The next thing is you got to think about this a little bit like a grid, like an Excel spreadsheet, right? So you take each word, an apple tree, and you yeah. have the, it's actually represented by the numeric version, that number. And then think about you've got all, you've got, let's say, all a columns, 4,096 columns or X number of columns per word, right? That goes in the row. And each of these columns are features mm -hmm. for that particular word. For example, if you take the word Apple, Apple has 4,000 X columns, and each column is going to include a numeric value in there that is now its weight or its feature, yeah, right? Okay. And what does that mean? And so what it means is that each one of those columns is going to have some value in it that contains a little bit of information about that word Apple. So let me give you a really simplistic example. You can have a positional encoding or positional value. That says, let's just take one of those columns, let's take the first column just to be simple, and says the and word has the number one in it, the apple word has the number two in it, and the tree word has the number three in it. So now when you look at it, you can actually say, okay, that column represents the position in the sentence for that word, yeah. right? Apple is number two because it's the second word in that sentence. Tree is number three because it's the third word in that sentence. So you can now see how a numeric representation can give you an idea of the context of the word in that sentence, right? Which mm, is, oh, yeah. tree is number three. 
It's the third word of that sentence. You might even like, again, simplistically, now expand your mind to the context of every word and every sentence in the entirety of the internet. Yeah. Now, what if you said, I've always seen the word tree as the third word in the sentence X percentage of time, right? You can then start saying, okay, the word tree or the word apple, you can numerically encode, oh, I've seen this word in this sentence over the entirety of the internet 60% of the time, 80% of the time, 10% of the time. Now you're starting to embed context of the word, the position of the word, how it's seen it, its memory of that word over time. So now if you have 4,000 of these columns, every single one of these columns has some memory or context about how it's seen the word, the way the word's been used, Mm. all of these things numerically associated for the entirety of that word of what it's seen it, right? This is the features. This is the weights of that word. And so this kind of creates, if you can think of visually this pattern, right? Of Okay, whenever I've seen the word apple, has it always been used in the context of being followed by tree or being followed by store? It may depend on when you think of the word apple, you immediately, your mind goes to a couple of things. You're like, oh, if you say an apple, the first thing I probably think of is tree. That's like the closest yeah. thing I think of. But I might think apple pie too. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, you, oh, your mind immediately goes, an apple pie, an apple tree seems fairly closely related. Yeah. But what if the context of your conversation was you, we were both talking about, let's say, an iPhone? Then immediately when I say an apple, your first instinct is an iPhone or yeah. an apple yeah. something, That's right? Funny. Or an apple store. That's because the context around it has changed. And so you might say, okay, we know when, if I just say with no context, an apple, the most closest thing you're going to think of is a tree, maybe an apple pie. Further down, if you see like a grid, you might think, oh, like an Apple store, an Apple iPhone. Or what if I said something like the apple of my eye? And then, you're like, whoa, that's super, like I would not have thought about that. Yeah, You could see that if we were talking about phrases or comments or maybe a, someone you were dating and I said an apple of, and then you start, oh, my eye, yeah. pretty obvious. So you're the context helps you bring the relationship. Yeah. Even from a, so I was going to say, even from a Bible context, the Adam's apple, that there is that that's, as well. Yeah, yeah, you that's right. Like, you can take it any direction because Apple has been used so often as well, but it needs to understand every single yes. pattern that can be created by it. And so when you look at the transformer and how it works, it's going to take Apple, it's going to look at the context and each of those columns changes these weights on, oh, you know what? I've seen Adam's apple Always like you can embed a little bit of numeric value. It says, oh, I've always seen the word Adam before Apple in context with words relating to throat, you know, all these like kinds of things, like these things get encoded in these features per this word. And so if you can think about all of the different associations you may have, it gets built into these weights, right? Mm -hmm. These features. And for example, when I say something like an Apple tire, you're yeah. going to go, wait a minute, what the hell is that? You're like, I don't see any association. I don't know where that is. Yeah. Way far away from what I would see as the most uh, obvious way of that being a word associated mm. with it. So is that all- where prediction would come in as well? Because you know yes. how mid-journey, okay, fair. Yeah, because then, then all of a sudden when you're like, wait a minute, an apple tire 
is that would not be so low on your prediction scale, right? What is the context at which that would be higher on a prediction scale? And so now you're starting to learn, I think, a little bit about how context and weighting and attention on these words and attention on the context surrounding it happens. And so Mm -hmm. if I were then, say, an apple tree and I were to pass an an apple to transfer, its prediction is going to go tree is the highest likely value. But of course, there are others. There's Apple Store, there's Apple Pie, there's Adam's Apple, whatever these are, there are like different variations of predictions. And actually, this is where you start getting into, have you ever seen in like LLM's temperature? Uh, You can change your temperature. If you set it to zero, zero, then it's going to go immediately Apple tree. Like it's just going to go to the one that's the most predictable. But if you change that, it allows some randomness. And that randomness might say that Ellen might just choose an apple pie versus the, the least, not as the most predictable, not as yep. the least predictable, somewhere in the middle. And that gives oddly creativeness, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's almost challenging to your point. We as humans are only, we are doing pattern matching at the end of the day, right? To what you said about an Adam, Apple, Apple tree, Apple genius, Apple store. We're also only pattern matching in our minds as well. We're not really... I guess I imagine you do have that picture in your mind, but I was going to take a, a rewind a bit. That tokenization thing that you mentioned about OpenAI, is that how you would identify between, say, Bard AI from Google, Meta AI, and all of that? Is the tokenization piece that makes them unique, or would there be a lot more in those LLM models that would make them different? Because I imagine people are dealing with, oh, should I look with Bard, ChatGPT, what am I looking at? Yes. So every model can have a different tokenization. I am not as much in the weeds to know whether BART or Llama has a different tokenization standard. A lot of people have been, obviously, because it's OpenAI, have been using OpenAI's tokenization standard. Um, But of course, you are correct. Like Llama could be using something very different. And so if you were to fine tune that model, you need to use their tokenization in order yeah. to fine tune that model. There definitely are differences and everyone can use something different. I guess a step further from that also is that for people who may be looking at this going, people who create through what you said, Alhagen and all, all the SaaS applications that have been created around the AI element, they're using some kind of tokenization or at least sending a token as well, or that's just sending an API request. Like I'm trying to think from a perspective that we cannot peel the layer of LLM. We spoke about tokenization, attention, and we spoke about the fact that this is how those models are working. But when people say chat GPT versus all of that, is, is does that come into this point or is there another? You know, think about tokenization, very simple. All it is is taking parts of a language and converting it to a numeric equivalent. It's a dictionary. It's I have the word Apple and the numeric equivalent is 17180. And right. why is that needed? It's needed because what AI is nothing but multiplication. Right. Matrix okay. multiple. So you need a way to multiply the words. You need to convert the language into numbers. And those yeah. numbers then go through formulas and some sort of math. And that right. math produces what you want. The reason why you can have different tokenization, for example, is let's say one model decides the way that OpenAI does their tokenization is not as efficient. For example, when you tokenize something, take the word like something. Something mm. can be one word. But actually, if it gets tokenized, it may actually be two numbers. Some thing actually could actually be two numbers in a breakdown. Or when you say multiple of something, like a good example is is have versus having. Have is going to be tokenized. Ing is going to be tokenized. 
And so then when you add multiply ing, then ing is the same token, but multiply will have its own token and you're putting them together. Right. So you want to like, all it is is taking these English or really it could be non-English or any data particularly and making it numeric. And there are, by the way, special tokens that the system itself knows about, right? Whether it's the end of sentence token to know when to stop beginning or when something is beginning. There are padding tokens so that when a transformer goes through its multiplication, it actually does this sort of like matrix multiplication. It it needs a even numbers to do its multiplication. So some words or some tokens end up being shorter than others. And so you got to go pad them with some tokens. And these are specialized tokens that are no ops in code, right? Right. And that's how tokenizing works. And again, like it's really just the first phase. It's really just saying... How do I take this into numbers? Then all the magic math happens. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. How a lot of people talk about the fact that every time we ask a query to chat GPT or any of these systems, it's a huge amount of cost in the background. And it's basically LM systems as we speak about. Clearly from what you're saying, if you're collecting every possible word, every possible punctuation, making a number, I can't even imagine the number, the, the, how big the database would be to account for not just English, but multiple languages as well now the translation in, in Chinese and Mandarin and Hindi and all of that. And you go, oh, wow. So now I just multiply that by the number of languages. I, Is that I, I believe I don't, I'm just totally going off of memory, but I think it's, I think it's like 5,000 something. 5,000 yeah. languages that it can cover. No, no, 5,000 5, tokens is the English language. Right. Really? Entire English language can you put into 5,000 tokens? I don't know. Let me ask ChatGPT. Hold on. <laughs> How many tokens <laughs> do you need? <laughs> do a live demonstration. ChatGPT, we need some help. How many uh, anyway, I think it's like something like 5,100, something like something like that, that I believe are the number of tokens so for the English language. It takes a lot of power in the background for it to just come up with an answer. I'm just curious because a lot of people talk about the cost associated with running all this yeah. as well. Yeah, training yeah. and running and an inference. Yeah. Yeah. So is that because if just 5,000 tokens and my little mind, I'm thinking, oh, that cannot be that complicated run or is it more well, of a complicated fun? It's, it, tokenizing is super easy and super fast. Remember, that's literally like converting dictionaries, key values, like apples, this number, trees, this number, ing yeah. is this number. That is super fast. That requires yeah. no computational cost. The computational cost comes in the transforming, which is it's looking at the context and saying, it's doing the math essentially to like look at Apple and yeah. say, look at all of the context and where I've seen the word Apple, understand what it's doing, do the, all the multiplications and get out all the massive math together to then be able to change the weight accordingly and continuously do this over every single variation of text of the internet, right? So it's not about the word itself, but as a standalone. It's about the word itself in every context has ever been seen on every single text on the internet, right? That's the compute part. That's the training part that is really expensive because you're going to take however many GPUs and try to parallelize this as much yeah. as possible. So you can take a single sentence and then do all that compute per word. Yeah. And so if you can parallelize that and then have it all do its math and then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one, that's a lot of compute power, right? That's a lot wow. of cost. And also yeah. when you run it at inference, which means you got to run in a runtime, you've got to take incoming text 
and then run all that through the model and say, yeah, what does this mean? Can I actually produce an answer that makes sense? Because that makes me think of the deployment of LNs as well. What's involved in, because I imagine a lot of people who listen to either this podcast or in general want to understand AI and data more from a, that's great, chat GPT is out there, OpenAI is out there, or BART is out there. I want to make my own because we are all special after all. And what's involved in like this kind of LLM deployment? Sir? I think it's two things. Before I switch to deployment, I would say that like making your own LLM, and again, I'm going to make some predictions here, right? Which okay. is, I think that's, it's asinine it, both, for both good. Think about this. It's, you remember when cloud first came out? Mm. And everyone was like, oh, all these cloud providers are going to do this. We're going to create our own private cloud and we're going to yep. do this. And then what ended up happening is everybody started shifting to these majority three or four. And yep, yep. that is where it ended up because it's really hard to manage and do cloud. LLMs are exactly the same. You see these people who are producing these open models, which is fantastic, by the way. Mm. However, I think at the end of the day, if you're an enterprise or you're anyone like, the cost of both either training something and then running it is going to be really expensive. And so ultimately, I think when it comes to these generic frontier models, like you're just going to start as an enterprise, you're just going to use theirs. However, yeah. with that being said, I think the future, a lot of the theme I'm getting up is the future, although there is going to be a generic kind of model, like these sort of generic that we see LLMs today, Smaller models being focused on a particular area of expertise is going to start really making the difference. So yeah. similar to the way you think about humans is if you ask Caleb to be a master mechanic of cars, I will fail miserably. Mm. <laughs> like my area of expertise is cybersecurity, right? Yeah. Like I am not a mechanic. However, yeah. I know enough about cars generally to understand the basics, but I think you're going to start seeing these smaller models created as experts in the area, and yeah. you'll have a generic model that will help navigate and or determine who of the, your council is the one that which will which will do this. And so when the smaller models, I do expect people to start deploying and yeah. building smaller models potentially themselves. That'll be interesting to see. You know, it's, it's funny because I think I'm always amazed at how similar you and I think because I'm actually on the works of making a video around the whole AI as a service war that's coming. If you look at, you mentioned the cloud players as well. They're already on it. Amazon has Bedrock. OpenAI from uh, Microsoft is trying to do that as well. And so Google is also trying to make their platform available as a, hey, by the way, we all can also help you build your own because they're known for big data anyways. It's the obvious choice most times to go break a prediction system on it. So I definitely feel to exactly what you said as to add maybe a third layer to that, that there's an as a, as a service war, like where am I going to host my own AI, private cloud comparison, public cloud comparison, whatever you want to say it, they're all going to go for that piece of the, the slice as well though. So can I tell you, I want to tell you a little bit of some things that scare me a little bit. And, okay. I, and, I, I'm, and again, this is probably me being ultra paranoid, but the thing that scares me just a little bit is that when the more you get into this AI space, the thing that I always expected is like, oh, the, the more that you come to reality about like how this is not really that great or the reality, the problem is it's doing the opposite. We've not even been a year, I think, since GPT-3 came out. And this stuff is scary good. And it's accelerating hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour faster than I can even keep up with. And the thing that I think that scares me the most 
is not only do we know, you know for a fact this is going to change everything in the future, but the fact that in order to have this kind of model will become absolutely necessary. And the only people who can have the level of data and the level of compute is going to be big players. And so I, when I was thinking in my mind, I was like, you have to have the ability to have this to innovate. You have to have this ability to build products. Like it's always been this pattern of big companies grow up, become behemoths, don't, cannot move faster, cannot innovate, cannot do things. It spawns off these startups who then go and build these things. They innovate faster, do better. I, I just wonder if big guys are the only people that can really have the capability and money to run these things. Mm -hmm. And I also start wondering if it becomes so smart that it is the only thing that really helps innovate and helps execute. Do startups actually end up being at a disadvantage from big companies? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, because like the traditional way where startups always just started is that I, I always describe it as a chef knife versus a Swiss knife, like a big behemoth that become like a Swiss knife. They have an answer for everything. You want, yeah. just tell me what you want. I'll give you whatever you need. When a startup would come in, hey, by the way, we have this Japanese chef knife and we do all this and all that. So they're very yeah. specialized, but there's a, a, an obvious need for it. But to your point, if the primarily that, if I use that same analogy and go, the, if the Swiss army knife is the AI and you're going, what, what, am I, either I'm making my own model, which is basically is somehow better or is a complementary to the existing AI. I'm like, I'm at a disadvantage. Yeah, these things, the bigger the brain this thing becomes and the smarter it is and the faster it can execute, it, you can create factories, right? And the thing about it is that if you're a smaller startup and you don't have access to this level of knowledge and ability, it will put you at a disadvantage, right? Mm, you yeah, don't have yeah. the data, you don't have the compute, you don't have the access to these really large models that big companies actually do have access to. I don't know. I'm being a little paranoid. I'm thinking way, way ahead, but I almost feel like these big guys, this feels like there's this chance that they can flip that switch and turn it around where actually mm -hmm. the big guys are the ones with a lot of advantages to the startups, which will yeah. be really interesting. I, I would say, at least in my mind, the silver lining is that, and I compare this to the whole cloud launch as well. When cloud happened, the way it was sold as well, hey, imagine having access to the same amount of data centers that Amazon has at any given point in time. You can just go from a company in the middle of nowhere to this global company in a matter of minutes. Yep. Like, like that was scary for a lot of people. The people thought, oh my God, what are we going to do? And ultimately, the people who wanted to pay money for all of this were being pushed into the space because of, hey, we want to be innovative. We want to be there everywhere. We want to be quick. I feel, yeah, and, and this forced the cloud service providers to make it cheaper and cheaper so they can go for more volume. I wonder if similar context over here, and maybe this is a silver lining I'm hoping for, just being the, as my wife would call it, the guy with the tinted glasses, I was like, oh, I feel there's definitely hope for the fact that if the big players need volume, they would have to be consumer friendly, which is whether it's your enterprise startups or whatever, affordable costing, which probably to your point may mean there's an abstraction layer of, okay, so this much has been covered by AI. With I do agree with you. But the conspiracy side of me <laughs> says, I guess competition will help in this is why yeah. not offer just inferior models, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and do what, like, what we get from OpenAI versus others are not going to be what they get. And yeah. so there's a lot of muting of 
and controlling of the data and capabilities and access that you have yeah, yeah. versus the big guys have restricted access. Hopefully competition forces that, right? Meta is like throwing all this stuff out for everybody, which is forcing these others. But then there's this regulation, safety, government, like now does it become controlled where all of a sudden you can't go do that because mm-hmm. of the negative effects of this. And then that forces a constraint around, oh, there can be areas where you're offering inferior models to everybody while you have the capability to execute far more. So that's my conspiracy. Anyways, like we went way off topic. We should talk about what's hot in your mind uh, at this point in time. I think we'll cover the uh, implementation and the enterprise use case in the next episode. So maybe what's your hot topic for the week for AI? My hot topic is I've been researching really two things. I've been researching open interpreter, which is basically you give it root access to your machine. It also does it on desktop. So you can do it on your OS X or your Windows, right? And you give it full internet. And you basically, the way I've been playing with it, I just do a open interpreter dash Y, (laughs) which means you just make decisions and you just run. Obviously you do this in a sandbox. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, hope you're- This thing is, it's crazy. Like when you start watching the ability, very similar to, I feel like when I first saw saw like auto GPT, it's like when you start seeing it, the reasoning capabilities around what it does, I'll give you an example. This is a really simple one. What annoys me and frustrates me about GitHub projects all the time, you have to clone it, you have to run it. And of course you've got some dependencies that they're missing and it didn't work the right way and they don't offer a Docker container for it. And just all this like other stuff. But you have to go through all these things. Anyway, when you finally get it running, it probably errors because you missed some configuration somewhere. And it's just <laughs> yes. like constant, oh, like it's just painful. So I was like, okay, let's, let's see what this thing does. So I was like, I just took a random, a pretty actually advanced GitHub repo project. And I said, I want you to install this and get it running. And that was it. And I pasted the link. And it just went and said, okay, I'll figure this out. And it says, first, let's clone the thing. Okay, let's run the, oh, it ran into an error. It seems like this, it's missing this. Let me go and install the right things to install that. Oh, it ran into an error there. Okay, I can fix that. And it fixed it. And it got, it gets everything like cloned, installed. And then it tries to run. And, it's, and then it goes, this is the full, it, it says, okay, when I'm in the directory, it doesn't look like there's an obvious place to run it. But based off of the readme and the files, it looks like these are the probably the most let me run it that way. And it runs it and you're like, oh yeah, that works. And it's missing this parameter. It looks like it's really looking for this. Do you want to provide it? Do you want me to provide it? And oh, it was wow. just like, and I did nothing. All I did was that first thing, did it. And it just went through everything. Oh, wow. And, and it's just nuts. And it works on OS X too, which wow. I haven't had the guts to do this. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> yeah. But oh, like, I'm, I'm setting one where you can just tell it and it will go through. It says, I've read your email. I'm adding this calendar entry. I'm changing your wallpaper today. It just does all this stuff and it just takes actions and makes decisions. It's just mind blowing. Like the thing is crazy. And so when you think about it, can I tell you a little bit of what this brings my mind to? I'm going future here, but like when these, when LLMs go into making decisions and acting, think about this. We've always talked about in security self-healing Yeah, yeah. Right. Where, hey, when you see a security incident, how do you respond to it? Or if an application errors, how do you restart it or get it back in a working condition? And you could see if we ever get to the point where smaller LLM models can run independently on 
any compute instance on any instance in a container. Like it could just watch apps. It could see things happening and make decisions and respond to it in real time, right? It's a little bit like, if you think about a security team today, it's very centralized to the aspect of a fire station where, yeah, yeah. hey, we see data that comes from a server. Oh, that's an incident. I should respond to that incident. You send somebody out who goes and says, what's going on in this instance? How's it happening? What if that can just be thrown into this LLM agent that actually real-time inspects this data, sees the state of the application, what's expected, sees it, responds to it, kills yeah. attackers, restarts software. Like all of that is like in a year, totally viable, right? Oh, wow. In a year. I think totally viable in a year. If there's not a startup already working on how to take, first, I think the technology gets to the point you need to make a model small enough with at least amount of compute that it can run in a running service, oh, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. Being able to analyze and understand and make decisions in real time, to I think it's definitely going to happen. Because when you watch it decide, yeah. operate, and make changes on its own, you just let it run. Like, it's pretty smart, man. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I could see a point where when you start thinking about cybersecurity, this stuff really starts getting into some interesting territory. Because as you were saying that, the obvious model that I know of is the agent-based model that a lot of people use in virtual machines. But to your point, it doesn't have to be an agent as well. People don't need to limit themselves with what they think of agent as, because there's a lot of things you can find just from API calls these days as well. You don't have to even yeah. do have an agent. So if someone thinks of this as a company, after they hear this, please reach out to Caleb and get some, <laughs> get some, get some, get some uh, revenue shared to him as well. But I definitely agree with you. I also agree on the fact that I'm curious to see how we always watch a movie, which is very futuristic. You walk into a room, lights turn on. You do things which happen automatically because you have told Alexa or whatever to say, every time I walk in the middle of the night, I want lights turned on in a certain dim cell setting. The same happening to your computer, to what you said about the open interpreter. I imagine in my mind, you wake up, you, you get a coffee, whatever. You walk into your home office, lights turn on, computer turns on. And, Hello, Caleb. Welcome to, I don't know, whatever they did, 6th of October, 2023. Today's calendar looks like blah, blah, blah. You have your calendar on the side. And it's almost like making calls for the fact that, oh, by the way, I noticed you have a gym appointment later today. You should make sure that you actually have this finished, blah, blah, blah. Does everything. All that's, do all that's doable today. You, yeah. you can do that today. You can make oh. it happen. <laughs> yeah, oh like my I, God. It takes that, some elbow grease, but like, I, like today, I think that's super doable. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'll quickly do my hot topic as well. My hot topic was the meta AI announcement that happened for, so they already had a version of Ray-Ban last year that they had announced. They came up with the updated version of Ray-Ban. This time it's integrated into the meta AI and it allows people to do live stream. It allows them to see an object and interact with meta AI live in within the, imagine Iron Man glasses. But the fact that you can look at an image and ask questions about it. You can find help on how to fix a faucet leak, things like that. Basically, there's a leak happening. You can just go, oh, yeah. I don't know what to do about this. Or what's the right temperature for chicken on a barbecue? I don't know. Like, yeah. it definitely get into a point. But one point that was really fascinating, and maybe this was my moment of being scared, was that you could have live stream on your Ray-Ban. But from a looks, it looks exactly like a Ray-Ban. There's no difference apart from this tiny-ass camera on the corner and the person just starts a live stream. You don't even know you're part of a live stream as you're standing and talking to your friend. That part to me is a bit, sets me, makes me a bit nervous because which conversations are going online. A lot of trust is probably built with 
people interacting and doing all of that and that being kept private. And now that's open on the internet potentially as well. I don't know what you feel about technology like this kind of being made available. Well, we went through this with Google Glass, right? And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. And I do think that the one thing they're definitely going to do if it's not already in there is you will have to have a light indicating you are live recording. That is absolutely necessary. And if it's not in there, like similar to Google Glass, like one, people didn't really appreciate the sci-fi nerd look. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least this one looks like a Ray-Ban glass. So and this looks like Ray-Ban glasses. But at yeah. the same time, like people really got creeped out when talking with someone because they, they didn't want to be recorded. There is an assumption of privacy when yeah. you yeah. and I are physically sitting there and talking. And I think that assumption of privacy now has to be made readily known through those Ray-Bans, right? Which you're not going to, you either will take them off when you're talking. Yeah. However, I do think like they'll probably just put some indicator that'll say live streaming, right? Now, putting an indicator to say whether it's running or not probably won't happen because you'll want to do stuff like wear it. For example, I am terrible at remembering people's names, mm -hmm. right? It's a horrible trying to work on it too, but it's horrible. Yeah, it's I'm the same as well, yeah. Yeah, and so when you walk up, you know, you're gonna, can you get the facial recognition, shows the LinkedIn profile, oh, oh yeah, the last time we talked, that is, and say, oh, hey, Ashish, yeah. boom, boom, that helps. That thing isn't necessarily recording actively, although it is working actively. Yes. So that'll be my guess. Yeah, uh, okay, so there, I think from what they showed, there is a lens that opens up and it does have a bit of a gray area that at least, okay, maybe to be fair, it was zoomed in view, so I don't know if it, how obvious it is because people who wear glasses would not see it. So sure, it's like tiny. Imagine how small the screw is on a Ray-Ban. If that's, a, that's the size of this camera, you're not really recording or you're not noticing at that point in time. But I'll be curious. I'm, I'm hopeful it's a better world. But that was mine. Can, but I, can I, I also tell you? I think you're fighting it. Yeah. <laughs> what is going to You know, I, I think that's what's going to happen. It is oh, happening. It like is there's going to be a time where I think we're just walking around and everything is just being recorded. I just think it's unavoidable. It already happens. Like police does it. Like at least in London, the CCTV cameras everywhere. That's always live. And you're always in a camera somewhere. Just there is no safety from it. But no you safety. almost have that trust. It's a police. But this time it's your friend. It's people at the bar who could be anyone. But and, uh, and my, I, if I add a little bit of security to our I feel like predominantly non-security talk. I do think one lesson that we have learned as security people is always this convenience trumps safety and privacy. And mm. oh, yeah. this is exactly this. If they make these things convenient enough where it just makes no sense for it not to be a recording, yeah. privacy goes out the window, uncomfortableness, like all that safety goes out the window because that's what people will want to do. They'll want the convenience. And yeah. as soon as the majority, just just like Apple, remember when AirPods, people are like, oh, that's super weird. No one's going to yeah. wear that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then it like ever, and then fashion celebrities started, then everyone started wearing it. And then people started, oh, like it's super convenient. I'm just going to, and it was done. Oh my God. Oh wait, I feel like it's the same as the, have you seen those the sling bags that people carry? Yes. I'm like, I find that thing to be the most weirdest in the world. Like, yeah, like I, I totally am with you, but you know what? I'm excited that it's becoming an end thing because what because it's super convenient. What's up, man? man, like you can store things in it. Like <laughs> you know, what's also weird is there's this weird dichotomy I feel like where it's like when everything is, I'm trying my best to get everything in my life into a phone, 
Yeah. So I only carry one thing, right? <laughs> like I shouldn't have to drive, carry my driver's license, credit cards go to Apple Pay, whatever these things are. It should all go to one device. But yet what's becoming fashionable is now the thing <laughs> at which I can carry multiple things. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> we should, to your point, we should come back to the, the cybersecurity part as well. But I might draw a line for this episode over there because I think you and I can talk for hours. If anyone is interested in having a question answered from an AI cybersecurity perspective, feel free to reach out and drop us that in the uh, comment section if you're watching this on YouTube or on audio. But thank you so much for your time, Caleb. Until next episode where we talk about LLM implementation and the enterprise version of what it may look like in the LLM. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.